You're listening to Women's Cricket Chat with Hannah and Alex. This episode is brought to you by Black Rat Cricket. Remember, if you quote Women's Cricket Chat, you can get 15% off your team wear. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode two of Enid Bakewell. This is the second episode of seven for our International Women's Week. Enid is such a trailblazer of the game that she played in the first ever World Cup men's all women's in 1973. She's achieved so much during her playing career that she played to the age of 42. It's amazing that she still wants to play cricket even though she's 80 years old. Here's our part two with Enid Bakewell. Um, I believe I had this question sent in by Charlotte Edwards, funnily enough, and she wanted to know what are some of your favourite Ashes memories because she said that she remembers you going to a lot of games. Uh, I'll have to say to Charlotte that my memory isn't the best at the moment. Um, A, I'm 80 now, of course. And uh, and my son says, it, it's amazing, Mum, the things that you can remember. And yet the things that I tell you that are really important, you forget. They seem to go whoosh. And and I'll say to him, so-and-so and so, and so, and so I told you that the other day, Mum. <laughs> he is marvellous. He's really, really good. But uh, so tell, tell Charlotte, I'm sorry, but I, I enjoyed the games, but I haven't got a lot of memories of them. That's absolutely fine. So we've got another question from Fraser Middleton on Twitter. And he said, is there anything you don't like about this era of professionalism for the women's game? No, I don't think so. No. Mind you, of course, it's it's, well, it's over a year now since I've seen any, really. I mean, the, the match that we played against India was amazing. No, I think on the whole, some of the fellows might not be quite... In fact... I used to bowl down south and I used to play, I used to be just rolling up and just practising with this group of fellas. And I was the only lady there, well, woman. And they they kept ragging one another and taking the mic off. And I said, I said, excuse me, I know it's, it's, it's a, a male thing that you rag one another and you take the mic off. I said, but I think some of you, you know, would pr- produce better play if you didn't do it or if you, if you could stop yourself doing it. I said, because I'm only here to practice to get better. I'm not here to be... So they stop pulling my leg. It's just inherent in them, isn't it? It's inbred. Don't know why they do it. But I have noticed that some people are really quite shy at being extrovert. Uh, whether it's because people take the Michael, I don't know. But it's, it's a male thing, isn't it? And we're not going to change it, I don't think, unfortunately. I think it might be a bit of fragile masculinity, maybe. How oh, do you reckon? Well, well, they do say that they're they're second second best, don't they all? Yeah. <laughs> For my uni work, I looked at the 2017 World Cup. I looked at the news coverage, looking at the comment section, and I found there were so many like horrible comments in the news sections there from assumingly men saying like women's cricket is boring, it's weaker than the men's game, women don't belong in cricket. Did you ever kind of face any of that when you were playing? And how did you kind of respond to people who did perhaps make a sexist comment? Well, either I would ignore it or I, I, would, I would leave it until I could, I could make some other comment later on. There's no point in sinking to their level, is there? I mean, we have had men's teams who've played and they've actually been friendly 
And then they've not been, certainly with Lynn, they wouldn't be able to get us out, you see. And so that was gentlemanly, but we did have one chap who scored something. It was in a friendly game. can't remember how many overs, but he scored something at 174. And A, you're not letting your other players have a go, are you? And Rachel, when she got out, she actually threw the bat across the pavilion across the changing room and it hit me and I'll never forget that because of course it was just because of his chauvinistic uh, approach to the game and it's almost as though their machoism cannot cope with women being better at anything than them I mean you get this at cricket week when we play on the Wednesday night the men against the women and some folk are gentlemen and and that's nice life's too short isn't it that's too short not to be uh, friends with people. There's always something good in everybody if you look far enough. You have to look a long way sometimes. But this. <laughs> Definitely. I think that's such a powerful way to look at it as well because kindness is so easy, isn't it? It's, it's easy to be kind. Um, and it breeds kindness, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I go around picking up people's litter and what have you and I'm thinking, am I doing well? And yeah, I picked up half a bar of chocolate this morning. <laughs> Uh, and the 10p piece the other day. Lucky Penny as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have to use that to toss with next time. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to save that, won't I? Because I'm not spending money at the moment. I do everything by instant contact, don't you? Yeah, true. Yeah. Just thinking about that point you said about um, Rachel as well. So, can you tell us a little bit more about that day, that moment as well? How obviously, like, she just got fed up of getting those kind of chauvinistic comments and attitudes to the game. Well, she normally dealt well with everything. I mean, I do remember one game when we went down south and there was one girl from South Africa playing and she'd had to borrow some kit. So you could imagine it was it was cold and it was wet. It was chucking it down with rain down south. And um, she was fielding in slip. So you're not very mobile, are you, when you're fielding in slip, apart from the end of the over. And no sweater. And then I'm looking round and I'm thinking, with Rachel, she was sat under an umbrella doing an interview, wasn't she? She'd arranged this game just special to do the umbrella, to uh, do that. But she was amazing. I mean, another time we parked in the car park with my dad. I was there with my dad and my three kids and we got my dad's old car. And uh, Rachel asked me to look after Ben while she went off and had a drink because I'm not into noise. My dad interested in having a drink because he used to be a Methodist. And because um, she went off, didn't she? After we couldn't start the car, could we? So, <laughs> so we've got these three young children who supposedly, one at least, was at school the next day. This was a Sunday. Long way down south. So anyway, we got back and I thought, oh, it's all right, we're in the AA. We'll just get in the AA and they'll take us. Well, no, you go in stages, don't you? So we got so far and then we had to wait for an hour. And the little one, I remember Lynn was in a white dress this time. She was in Lorna's white dress, cast off white dress, of course. She was, and well, did she want to sleep? No, she didn't want to sleep. So I said, That's Dad, you sit down, look after the other two. I'll watch Lynn going up and down the aisles in, in this cafe, you see. Anyway, we got back, but of course it was about nine o'clock the next morning. So I said to Lorna, there's no way you can go to school, love. You've been awake all night. So, but she went in the afternoon, but... Um, so well, I've had fun and games with Rachel, but most of the time she was absolutely wonderful, uh, except when we were playing them for when we played Wolverhampton on the star ground there, and we could not get her out. But she'd invite you around there, and of course she got this uh, snooker table, a full-size snooker table, right up in the top lounge with a three-piece suite round. I mean, Derek was he was a self-made man. In fact, he, he came from locally. A uh, lovely guy. Um, I think he's lost it since Rachel, he'd, he'd really miss Rachel because she was an inspiration. Of course, he didn't want any more children 
Um, but Rachel did. I mean, I think that's why she got married, because she wanted a baby. So she she always got what she wanted, bless her. <laughs> it's so lovely just being able to hear your stories. And I've got another kind of quick one, because we put a poll up on Twitter to, to have a little debate about whether women's cricket should be called women's cricket or whether it should be called ladies cricket because some cricket clubs are still for example like Kibworth ladies and then you've got other clubs like the Marvel women team what's your kind of attitude to the language around the game do you prefer the term lady or do you prefer the term women's cricket I never thought about it to be honest I'd like the thought that all women were in fact ladies that they were polite to one another and they were gracious and kind, but I don't think you know what's in a name. It doesn't matter what you call, so long as, uh, so long as the word cricket is there, and and it's acknowledged that it's a female game as much as the men. And in fact, you know, as I say, they, they started the overarm bowling, and we're just as important in life as men, aren't we? Let's face it. In fact, you know, they wouldn't have any babies without us, would they? So we're probably more important. Although I suppose we, we could have some drug, could we? I don't know whether we could actually have babies without the men. But now I don't think it matters what you call what you call the teams. You could call it female cricket, I suppose, if you if you really wanted to, to be pedantic. Yeah, no, it was really nice hearing your thoughts too, because it's so interesting to hear people's perceptions of language and whether it matters or doesn't matter to people. Because for me, I think lady sounds a little bit, older more respectable I, mm-hmm. I call myself a woman because a lady to me is very kind of like quite posh and quite privileged and perhaps a bit older upper, an upper class but if you behave like a lady if you're polite and you treat people with respect and you listen to their point of view and do things as a lady should I mean really class should have gone out I mean I, I went to a, a grammar school which which Maggie Thatcher closed down of course didn't she uh, even though we've got international athletes uh, who protested against it. Uh, and it went to be a private school in the end. But if if you go there, and I mean, that, that then changed things so that people could be educated. So maybe you de- define a, a lady as a lady who's been educated. I don't know. But then you could have somebody who's a mum who's, who's not been to a, a, a posh school you know, who treats people with a loving manner. And she's she's very much a lady then, isn't she? Definitely agree with that sentiment. The next couple of questions are by someone who was known on Twitter as at UK underscore crunch. And their first question is, where have you never been abroad that you would like to go? The West Indies. They could never afford us out there. So that's why we went to Spain and played this men's team where one of the young lads was, was coached every ball. Every ball, he was nagged by this um, this coach. And I thought, is that what they do all the time? Yeah, so the West Indies I would love to go to. I'll get there one day. But New Zealand is... I wanted to go and live in New Zealand, but my other half, he did, he'd had a mate go out then. Of course, he was trained at Rolls-Royce. He had a five-year apprenticeship at Rolls-Royce um, fixing engines. Uh, and of course, they'd have had to start training from where to go again and start from there. And plus the fact his mate's wife had got homesick, so they came back. So I couldn't persuade him to go out. I'd have to come back to look after dad anyway, because I'm the only one. But um, the West Indies is my goal. Hopefully you'll be able to get out there. As soon as COVID goes, book that plane ticket. I'll book to New Zealand and Australia first. I think the women are in quarantine, but I'll have to watch it on television, won't I? Anyway, I must send a message to Heather to wish her good luck. Not that she'll need it, she's got the skill. I read an article actually saying that, um, did she teach you how to FaceTime or something? 
Well, sort of, yes. Well, I can't remember whether it was Face. Yes, it was FaceTime. So I FaceTime with my friend now who's in Canada that I was at college with. And I actually have been able to Zoom. My son organises a Zoom, a family Zoom on Sunday. But I haven't managed to get a Zoom to my friend in Canada yet, but we'll do it. But she's got, she works from a television screen, though, which I think is different. And has a difference. It's, it's awful cold snow out there. She has to take the dog for a walk as well. Sometimes I think I think it's too cold sometimes, which is amazing. <laughs> and what's been your favourite game that you've been involved in and why? Probably that final at, at Edgbaston when we played Australia in the first World Cup because we'd played quite a bit before. We had an Audrey Disbury who was um, an ex-Wren and she was an equally good captain to Rachel. And so they used to vie. This is idea was that we scored four and over. And Rachel's idea was that if you get to 10 overs and you've got 50, then that, that's the way to approach it. And so they competed against one another. In fact, what did, one had an average for bowling, because of course, when you're captain, you don't bowl much. One had got an average of... Uh, 42 and the other one I got an average of 46 I think but they were good bowlers had their practice more often but anyway so she used to compete and of course we competed far more and were more au fait with the one day game that the Aussies weren't because of course one of them had come 3,000 miles away from everybody else and apparently the eastern states were a bit more snooty than uh, the ones in the western province I'm still in touch with Dawn Newman, who's, who's in the Western Province. So I've seen her since, and she sends me fun things through, uh, through the uh, Jackie Lawson, is it? The next couple of questions are actually from me, and I wanted to know, how does it feel to be one of three women inducted into the ICC Cricket Hall of Fame? A great honour, a very, very great honour. I couldn't believe it when I first said Because, in fact, what I was doing, I was living in an old folks' place, and uh, they were going to close it down. So I was going around the sheds trying to see if there was any rubbish that was worth salvaging. And one chap who was overweight had left these trolleys from the supermarket opposite Tesco, little supermarket, there's a garage and that. And he'd left his trolley there, you see. So I'm trying to get this trolley out and take it back to the supermarket. When, when this lady phoned me on the mobile, I mean, luckily I got, got it on me because normally I would. Anyway, she said, would I, would I like to go out to Sri Lanka? And I said, pardon? <laughs> she said, I'm inviting you to Sri Lanka. Oh, I said, oh, is that to watch cricket, says I. Yeah, I'd love to go if I'm watching cricket. Never been to Sri Lanka before, of course. Didn't know anything about it. Anyway, she said, well, we'll pay your airfare. So I went first class. Such luxury, you have proper knives and forks. And and I'd, I'd got two seats all to myself. Wonderful, you could spread your legs. and Oh, amazing. And on the way back, I had a massage in, in the uh, nearly misplaced, in fact, because I was too busy, man. I was so relaxed after this massage. Anyway, we went into Colombo, and this is where I'm trying to get these folk who don't speak a word of English to try and deal with, with the broth uh, in, the, in the water. And um, so I went over there and um, Charlotte was captain at the time. So she got the team over there. And of course, normally you have these men commentators, don't you? So you come and introduce you. And I'm thinking, he's not going to know a thing about me. He's going to waffle on. So I, I took over, I'm afraid. And uh, so I started talking about, you know, the, 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 the men's attitude towards women's cricket and how they should respect women's cricket and, and treat us with the respect that we deserve. 
And I got a lot of applause, I have to say. And then, of course, I went round to watch the... <laughs> I went round to watch the other games. And, as I say, I stayed in the place of Tickley and Gore. But, in fact... It was so racist there that it was quite obvious that the women's job was to look after the children and the men could go and swim, you know, with their own freedom. They didn't have to bother about the children. It was the women's job to look after the children, wasn't it? So I was a bit miffed by that, but never mind. We will change eventually. Well, it's taken us years, hasn't it? Let's face it. And and some of them at Lords don't recognise us as equals anyway, do they? Yeah, I mean, it took them a long time to persuade the crowd at Lords that, that women had a place there and that they weren't just invited on table. I find it so crazy. Yes. Well, when I first went there, there was a it was a set of stairs that goes up to where they ring the bell. You know where they ring the bell? Uh, to start the game. And it's a gentleman only allowed up here. And there was a girl, Kate Mateev, who was the secretary for the... Uh, MCC women's team, and she works in an office. Well, of course, she hadn't been in there. Whether she'd been allowed, I don't know. But I said to her, have you seen this notice? No, I've not been in there, she said. So, um, I mean, so not antiquated, but, but sexist. It was sexist, really. Yeah. Anyway, they are allowed now because, of course, Eileen, Eileen could ring the bell, couldn't she? And then uh, Andrew Strauss's boys rang the bell and his wife had died. That was so sad. Do you consider yourself a feminist? Because I, I've read Raph's book that she's recently um, published and reading some of the kind of comments from former players at the time, people were a bit maybe wary about the term feminist. Could have been, could have been, yeah. So I think it was yeah. with like radical feminism and like bra burning, I saw a few comments about. Well, it's funny you should say that because as, as soon as you mentioned that, I remember going to a restaurant once. And there was this woman there, and somebody sort of intimated that she she was braless, you see. Well, I couldn't take my eyes off. <laughs> In the end, I turned around and thought, you're being rude here. Just just ignore and, and get on with your meal. But it is feminist, yeah. Yeah, it's such a shame. I mean, at one time, they used to have, at Trent Bridge, they used to have a place where ladies only could go, but they couldn't go into the place uh, where where the members go and where the, you know where the team come out down there. And in fact, I, I went to a Wilson Award at, at the local school where the two younger ones of mine went. And I, I saw this lady sat at the table on her own. And I thought, oh, she looks a bit lonely. I'm going to sit there and talk to her. Anyway, it turned out it was Sarah Julian who was on Radio Nottingham. A real, real character, a great character. So I got to know her and, and eventually it came out. And of course, she was awarding the prize that I was given. And... Um, so we are talking about Radio Nottingham. I said, oh, I listened to, to Radio Nottingham in the mornings. Very interesting, very humorous. So eventually we got contact and we she made some contact with folk at Trent Bridge because I said they've got bats that are 100 years old or so, all belonging to men. They'd got my, they'd got my award from Sri Lanka, the award that I got that was in the case with glass. It was hellish to try and bring back on a plane, as you can imagine. Anyway, I'd given that to Trent Bridge because, of course, I, I was in a flat. And in fact, I think I was living in my daughter's place at the time and she was going to move. So Sarah got an interview down at Trent Bridge and she got the folk to come and they'd actually put some photographs of women cricketers in the display. It was down where you went to the toilets, so it wasn't in a particular prominent place. But at least they, they had... Because, re- I mean, when you think we've got Karen Hicken, who played... All right, she was Leicestershire, but played in knots, and then we've got other players. 
who played for England, not just me, Jane Smith and um, and uh, who's a quick bowler. God, I can't remember her name. I can picture her now. I gave her a towel. To, to... Anyway, so we got all these, these women who were extremely good cricketers. I mean, this girl, Chamberlain, Joe Chamberlain, she could hit a ball with a, with a cl- an ordinary club as far as a bloke could hit with a with an with an iron because she she'd swum and she also played um, netball as well as and then took up cricket but um, she wasn't earning enough so she had to sort of give it up and, and, and go to work and look after the children but um, she's a real character great character so uh, Sarah Julian had helped me to get the uh, photographs up at Trent Bridge so I was really over the moon about that and of course I've got the membership they made me a I'm, I'm very good at vice, so they made me a vice chairman there. So I can go down and watch the cricket at Trent Bridge. I see that's brilliant because um, I know, so I worked with Loughborough Lightning back in the KSL. Um, so Jenny Gunn, obviously Nottinghamshire. It was 2018, was the first mm. she ever played at Trent Bridge. And I found that, like, I was just gobsmacked. I was like, how have you never okay. played your home <laughs> ground? She's so brilliant too, isn't she? And such a good character. She's a lovely character. Yeah. Thanks to Jenny that we set this up as well, by the way. So, I'd, but yeah, the fact that she'd never had the opportunity to play until 2017. And she'd played so many games for England. Because, I mean, what she's, I think she's about 38 now, isn't she? I mean, I finished at 42, but she, she's played for so long. But just because she's a girl. That's the only reason. No yeah. recognition. Because how important is it that the stadium and the space reflects everybody not just the men because you said like you've started to put that history back into Trent Bridge so how important is it that it does reflect both men and women oh it's so important isn't it yeah women have a role I mean there, there are more women are sort of getting onto committees and things and and talking sense don't get me into that with the county council and, and children went down there to a meeting and uh, I could see there were about six Tory blokes who didn't know anything about the north of the county as they don't there's a sort of a divide where the trent is but they know about the south of the county but not the north of the county and they were trying to close down these these places where children could go anyway i won't get onto that um, an important point about that as well though isn't there that women have to be in these kind of committees and they have to be on the boards and they have to take up positions of power to be able to make those changes that we've started to see over the, the decades well, I'll argue with you there because I, I think because one of our MPs came to a, uh, a meeting at, at uh, Sutton and uh, at Kirkby rather, and he was on about power. And I said, we're not here in a position of power. We're here to help people. And I think men tend to have the idea that they're in power and it's an influence over people rather than inf- uh, and an influence of controlling as opposed to helping. If you're being powerful and helping people with your influence, that's fine. But personally, I hate the word power, I'm afraid, but there, there you go. Well, no, because that's an interesting way to take it, yeah, because I've never really thought about it in that way, in, in that kind of respect. I guess the way I look at it is the decision makers and being able to actually have your say and be able to make the changes that you want to see. But you consult with other people and you, you take, take other people's opinions as well. So it's, it's like a committee thing rather than a, a power thing. Yeah, no, I like that because basically I'm still like a uni student as well. So part of my research, I'm trying to get athletes' voices at the heart of it because I don't want to dictate what my research should look like or the findings that I've got. 
I want it to come from the players kind of voices and develop it from what they say not what I think there needs to be more of that kind of collective voice not just a single voice yeah and actually people listening to other people as well even if they disagree with them yeah which is what my dad used to do he used to he used to argue with a chap who was a conservative at work and of course the, the conservative was awarded an award and my dad didn't get one and and I said you know I said to his the, the chaps the conservative's granddaughter I said he would have voted for whichever paid him the most she said you're probably right <laughs> but in fact my dad was offered a job to go as an MP uh, and he let somebody else go and stand and he stood for on the local council for about 38 years I think he was on the parish council and he stood where we lived mm, great great chap I read somewhere, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it true that you became a Labour councillor? And if so, what inspired you to make that decision? It was the fact that my dad had died and he'd been a Labour councillor for years. And I thought that, A, I would be able to cope. I was very, very fond of my dad. I looked after him. I've been going down to his place three times a day, usually, because he wouldn't come and live with us. He said, what do I want to come and live with you for? Anyway, I used to go down and I thought by, by actually standing for Labour in, in the ward where I live, and of course I taught the children at school and from other schools locally, and they'd come even when I was decorating, I'd have my husband's overalls on, I'd be painting, and they'd come and help me, and they'd come and say, you know, I've got a problem in the garden, can you come and sort it out? And I'd go down in the overalls, of course, and try and sort it out. So, so I was there for four years. And um, before I went down, I finally decided that there was no way I was going to be able to coach cricket at Trent Bridge because they got to, if Tim Robinson didn't go on a tour abroad in winter, they got to find a job for him. So they weren't going to find a job for me. So I went down south where I knew uh, Jenny Wastrack and uh, she, um, she had a lot of influence teaching cricket in schools down south. But I did put the kibosh on that when I was trying to get one game going and some woman was shouting for a bedroom about 20 yards away at least shouting to the lad something about his, his money or something and somebody was throwing glass in this playground and I thought oh do I really want to be here <laughs> so I went and did spry then so I could teach cricket wherever I went to and um, if, the, if the staff were okay uh, and I got to one school that it had got the it was the biggest housing estate in Europe and there were three Labour MPs there at the time uh, and the Liberals went in and, and got rid of all them. But in fact, I knew the headmistress who had played hockey for England and so she said, oh, come and teach some cricket, you see. So I did and the lady who was the class I took, she got cancer, so she was away. And I'd put a, a, a round ring like a clock on the playground, so they learnt their numbers and they learnt the number around that way. They learnt the directions and they learnt about the weather and all sorts of things. And then I contacted one lady who was in Norfolk and she was a headmistress and I prepared this lesson that was going to teach these children what this next stage was. Well, the, head, the, the teacher came back, the one with cancer, and said, oh no, she said, that's not on the timetable until the end of January. Well, it was only the beginning of January. I said, but they're ready for it now. Bearing in mind that these children were, were low intellect, really. And yet the headmistress, strangely enough, she got, you know where they put the coat pegs, uh, where they can't read? And they'd got all fairies and things like that for the girls and soldiers and things like that for the boys. And I'm thinking, that's so not with it. I couldn't do anything like that. So anyway, so I left and I went as a special needs teacher at another school when I'm, 
they'd actually got a cricket net. I don't think they played any cricket, but they'd only got a cricket net, which was a shame. But that was mixed. I didn't get any chance to teach the cricket other than the net there, uh, which was a pity. So what prompted you to get into coaching and to teach in school? Well, when Rachel finished, she wanted to give back to the game and I wanted to give back to the game. And in a way, it was helping me because, of course, you can coach in a game better than you can in a net. Because you can go in a net and then when you go out in the game, it's entirely different, isn't it? And so I, I was inspired by Rachel all the time. She really was a complete inspiration. And it helped me carry on with the game as well because I've... It's been my life, really. Other than my family, it's been my, my love. You've already touched upon going to the palace and receiving your MBE. How did you feel when you found out you were being awarded an MBE? Oh, I was very, very honoured. Extremely honoured. It was a Labour MP locally. I'd helped her with her canvassing. Uh, she was the one that, that was the influence and she sort of uh, warned me. And then, of course... It took ages. She warned me long before Christmas, but not to say anything, of course, not allowed to say anything. And I'd forgotten all about it. I didn't think it was going to take place. And then, of course, I got the knee problem, so I thought, well, I've got that coming up. So, But anyway, I was I was over the moon when I, and I thought the kids were because you know, they could all three go down there, you see, and be with me. Because they really they'd had to sacrifice a lot of my time while I was playing cricket. And they never complained, bless them. Do you think that if you were a man, you would have been awarded your MBE sooner? I've thought about that. I think it's 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 who has influence politically, really. And I think it was the fact that I'd helped this Laura Del Piero, the Labour MP for Ashfield, that's, that she did the pushing. Because, of course, we've got a Conservative government, so she must have had some influence somewhere. So I don't know how she got it through, but um, I don't know. I, th- I think that that's the influence, whether it's a woman or a man. I think so many others think that you should have got your MBE so much earlier. Oh, well, of course, I went I went with a group to South Africa uh, with a lady called Pam from uh, near Malvern. And she was very good at Cricket Week when it rained once and somebody's back got out of shape because it rained so much. She came and brought us all, all the ones who were camping on that site, lunches. And we, we were in my tent and we had two sittings of lunch. But she took a, a, a team because we wanted to try to keep the cricket, the women's cricket, alive in South Africa. It was quite an eye-opener, really, because we went and we went and we were picked up by somebody in a car who was deaf. And we thought there'd be... From the press, you know how you read in the press about it? Not like that at all. And it was the same over there. What you read about England in the press there wasn't true when you came back. But we thought there'd be guns at every other corner, of course, which there weren't. Anyway, she obviously got lost and we thought, oh, well, we'll just smile. We don't know where we're going. We've not been there before. Anyway, we tried to persuade the ones who obviously got oses. I mean, they got maids who were living in a shed down at the bottom of the garden. No windows. They were allowed in the house, but only to work. And so we tried to sort of try and, and point out things and try and get them to sort of with a with a view to them thinking that maybe they should treat blacks on more than a par i mean we went into where was it was a, a hotel i think and um, we weren't aware that it was a, no blacks only um, we went in as whites of course you see <laughs> so we got some funny looks but but of course then they decided that you know we were we were transgressing and so they, they were all out 
any honours, so that was why I didn't get the MBE sooner, because I'd been to South Africa to try and keep the women's cricket alive there. And, of course, it's thriving now. It's good now. Got a West Indian coach and lots of funding, I think. That's one incredible story as well. Like, wow. Mm, yeah. It was an eye-opener, really, to see people like Osis. Yeah, and, they, you know, they left their families behind. They were just living there on their own, acting as maids for these white people. Incredible. You can't believe it in this day and age, can you? How did your parents respond to your interest in cricket when you were younger? Oh, they very much encouraged me. I mean, they bought me all the gear, they encouraged me, and they'd take me in the car until I could drive. My mum was left looking after when he was really ill. She went looking after Uncle Sam. And my dad took me to a cricket match to play. And when we came back, he died. But she was amazing, my mum. She really encouraged me, as did my dad. Because my dad was really happy with a book. My mum wanted him to dance. But no, he wasn't interested in dancing at all. He was interested in a book and politics, and that was it. And gardening. He got his allotment, he got a huge allotment, 1,000 square yards of allotment, that my uncle helped with him a bit. But, um, and I used to go down there. But I got frightened once when there was a bloke all in black suddenly got up from the other side of the fence. He did run away, so I frightened me to death. But they were very, very encouraging all the time. And I remember when I went to college, she said, my mum saying, you won't be ashamed of us, will you? Because they got a phone specially so we could ring one another. And uh, yeah, she was a very, very uh, loyal lady, my mum. I felt really very sorry for her and because my dad had got all his committee meetings to go to. And she'd stood down from quite a number of them from the school committee because I was teaching there in the local school. So she'd had to step down. They couldn't let my dad step down because he was the only one that ever said anything at meetings. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they were really wonderful parents, both of them. And then we've got um, a question here as well about who was your favourite cricketer and who was your kind of role model that you aspired to be like? Peter May, who played for Surrey. And in fact, I used to go down to Trent Bridge and watch them play Surrey. And of course, I always supported Surrey because they were top of the league, weren't they, for about five years running. And then Tony Lott, because he's a left-arm spinner. Um, but Peter May was my idol with the bat. And then just on your spin as well. So what was your kind of tactics when you stepped up to that crease? And tell us a little bit about your style. Basically, it just spun. It just spun. And, and the fact that you gave it air... I once played against somebody, and in fact, we had a, a Kim, Kim Robertson, who, who batted very well for us as, for an East Midlands side. And we were playing the Leicester side. I think it was the Knotts team that were playing the Leicester side. And Kim had got 92. And the person the other end batting with her had only got single figures, but it didn't matter. We got runs on the board. And uh, they brought on this spinner who was looping the ball up into the air. So, of course, you had to lift your eyes. Uh, and your focus was changed. And then you got to focus differently when the ball came down. And somebody said, somebody whispered and said, Kim's going to be out any minute now. As soon as this girl came on, well, she wasn't a girl, she was a middle-aged lady by then. Uh, but she was tossing it right up in the air. And, and that really, that, that's the art of it, to get it to spin uh, and change. And I had one wicketkeeper who would say to the batsman, Sunny up there, isn't it? So that the batsmen look up into the sun and it blinds itself. So <laughs> you did that at Cricket Week once. But that was the art, really. Spin off the, off the finger. And, uh, of course, if I got my spinning finger really damaged, 
Then I'd have to bowl seam, so I used to bowl left arm seam over, which was quite novel. I did that once at Cricket Week. Yeah. Who was the best player that you played against? Best player? Well, Rachel certainly would rank really high on that. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Aussie ones. New Zealand. I can't think that I've played against that New Zealand all around. I've met her family. Certainly the Aussie, there were, there were two sisters who played. One was a really, really good bowler who would bowl really accurate and sort of really put it on a spot. And then the girl the other end would swing the ball so you'd think you could take liberties with the ball that was swinging. And, of course, you'd get out, caught it slip or somewhere, wouldn't you? Debbie Hockley was a good player too. I didn't play against her very often. No, Rachel would have to be the best. Pretty sure of that. How were you able to sustain playing cricket for so long? Because obviously, was it at 42 you retired, or was it 41? At 42? 42. uh, Being a spinner, you see, being a spinner, as long as you keep yourself fit, So, and I kept reasonably fit, having taught PE, so if I fell, I'd I'd roll and, and not hurt myself. Uh, as I say, the only injury I had was when I slightly pulled some muscle because I'd, I'd not got enough spikes in the shoes when it was a bit damp on the ground. So, uh, and I love the game so much. I still, I still want to play. <laughs> you know, I'm 80. I still want to play and still uh, absolutely adore the game. It, it, it's, it's like a, a physical game of chess, really. That's the best way to describe it, I think. You're still, but obviously, you've been playing <laughs> up until you need a, a knee replacement. So, it was retired from playing England senior, I guess. But what you just said about being a spinner, does that mean we need to have a word with Sophie Eccleston, Sarah Glenn, Maddie Villiers and co to be like, look, look what Ina did. You've got to stick around now. I think Sophie Eccleston will be around for a good while, won't she? She is brilliant. And of course, the left arm is, is very good because it goes away from a right-handed bat. That's, that's the real joy of it, yeah. They probably get as much joy out of the game as I do, and they're seeing more countries, and, and they're being paid, so uh, there's no reason for them to give it up, is there? She's got a very supportive family, I think, as well, Sophia Custon. I've met them, and we're on over in Australia. Nice mum and dad. Makes a difference. But she's got to play now until she's at least 42. Well, it's, it's her choice. Her choice. Hopefully she won't get injured. But she played well, didn't she, in those games... Uh, Recently, yeah, played very well. She got seven wickets for it in one innings. Amazing. You've obviously talked a lot about your children and your family life, as you should, because you're a proud parent. But I read in an article, so do correct me if I'm wrong, that you were playing cricket when you were six months pregnant. First of all, how were you able to do that? I think I may have only been five months, but I was bowling. Uh, and, of course, I had to field to my own bowling as well. I couldn't have any runs going off it. But, I mean, I think the first one, certainly the first one, I think I had several miscarriages, at least one miscarriage. Unfortunately, in my day, it might have stopped, but there were other people, and Rachel was, had got children, and June Stevenson had got children as well. So we were sort of moving into the modern era where people were recognised, even though they had got family. I mean, one day, in one time, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been recognised. It would have been frowned upon. We've got a question from Isaac, who said, what was life like during the era that you grew up playing in as a younger player? It was just great fun. And there wasn't so much traffic about, so we were freer. And we weren't inhibited by, you know, having to be in by a certain time. 
I mean, you didn't go in until you were hungry. You only went in to eat because, of course, we used to play things like tin and lurking, all sorts of games outside. And so cricket was just a natural form of enjoyment and fun. And then he also said, how would you describe yourself? Because professionalism wasn't an option back then. I often wanted to be a man professional cricketer. But then the fact that that I was a free agent, uh, you know, I hadn't got a boss. It gave me a, a sort of freedom. And certainly sometimes I think, well, it would have been nice to have been paid. But then I think, well, you're then reliant on a, an employer, aren't you? And you have to answer to them. And I'm, I'm not a very good answering to people. I'm quite good at being bossy and being my own boss. How did you deal with matches when things weren't going your way? And did you ever have any pre-match rituals or superstitions? Well, I would try and turn them around so that they did go my way. I was, I was not happy if, they, if it wouldn't go my way. And so we'd do something about it. I'm left-handed, so I tended to put my left things on first and then my right things. So I did have a ritual in that way. But there were others who had real rituals, you know. Where they, in fact, we, <laughs> we had a match at, at the Oval once and Rachel scored 173. At one stage, we weren't allowed to move because if anybody moved, there was a wicket fell at the other end. And so everybody was made to sit still apart from June Stevenson, who was a fast bowler and an opening bat. She was a black belt at judo, so she was a brilliant fielder as well. And she was occupying herself by cleaning up the, uh, the changing room, sweeping it all up into a, into a, a dustpan. And then somebody would go and get the, the bin and go and empty it again. <laughs> she would have to sweep it all up again. That was quite a routine, but sometimes people, you know, won't let people move and they have to do things by a set way. But And then we've got a question from Ritwika Dar, who also drew a picture of you as well. Which player of your time do you think could have been an ultimate T20 star of the modern cricket era? Joe Chamberlain, definitely. She was she was so powerful. She really was. Batting, bowling. I mean, when we played six aside for the under-18s, it was just, you, you had a job to see it. She was so powerful and strong. Left arm bowler, uh, left hand bat. And we said, but we had to have one of our best fielders as a wicketkeeper because a lot of the bats were missing it. And she had to stand about 10 or 15 yards back because it was so fast. We said, Joe, Joe, look, if she'd had a brain, she would have been an absolute genius. You don't need to bowl so fast. You're bowling on the wickets. They're scared stiff of you anyway because they've not seen bowling any any speed like this before. So just bowl on the wickets and you'll bowl them out. Because every time it went over the boundary, it was six runs, you see. Well, we were going to lose that way. So anyway, so that was uh, so she's probably the most powerful and would have been brilliant at, at 2020. Ritvika also asked, which player or players of today's time would you wish that you could share a dressing room with? Probably with Lynn Thomas, because she'd always got a story to tell she, she and, and jokes, because she played wet hockey for Wales and cricket for England. Amazing woman. And then she went coaching with Margaret Thompson out to uh, America every year in the school holidays. She regretted get, being the head of department in the PE department, because she said you didn't have any free time then. But she, she could keep you amused all night with her stories. So just quickly on that one as well. So from the current players today in the England squad, who would you pick to share a dressing room with? Well, Heather Knight would be an interesting character, but Sophie Eccleston would also be an interesting character. I wouldn't be advising her. She'd be, she'd be telling me what, what she's learnt from it and, and what, what would improve my game. There's always room to improve your game, no matter how many years you've played. And just finally, 
from me anyway, I wanted to know what was it like playing in the first ever women's match at Lords in 1976? It was it was a bit traumatic to be quite honest because we weren't sure what we could do, what we weren't allowed to do. Bearing in mind I'd been to matches and seen this, you know, gentleman only place, and I thought we didn't know whether we could go in changing rooms. We didn't know whether we'd be allowed to go through the long room. I don't know to this day whether they allowed a woman to score in the scoreboard. But anyway, of course, we were playing Australians and the Australians weren't into all this tradition. So they went through the long room. So we followed them and we were actually allowed in the changing rooms and into the dining rooms as well to eat. So it was a big occasion. And of course, Rachel had opted to field. Can you imagine why? Because she didn't open the batting. She would be the first woman ever to step onto the field at launch. Amazing. That was the second one. And I even had my hair done that day. So it was amazing, yeah. Yeah, and we beat the Aussies. Well, yeah. Because the, the Aussies hadn't lost a wicket for most of the games. Two opening bats had played and they'd been playing minor teams, you see. So they kept batting. So, of course, the rest of the team hadn't had practice, had they? Shirley Hodges took a fantastic leg side catch behind the wicket off June Stevenson's bowling. And we got one of the openers out very cheaply. So we were able to get the other wickets as well. I've got two more questions. So this is right. England indoor cricket. They said, yeah. did you ever imagine the women's game would be as big as it is now when you first started? I never thought about that. I just thought about the enjoyment of the game. And I didn't differentiate between women and men because, of course, I played with men and fellas all the time to begin with. But having experienced it later on, I don't think it would have been without people like Rachel, for instance, and the actual talent that there has been. So I don't think you could envisage that it was going to be this good. But I do envisage that hopefully it will get even better. I mean, when we've had a, an MCC president, wow, and Rachel's statue out there, great. They've actually put statues of Harold Larwood in Kirkby, which is my nearest town. And I'm on the wall batting, because I'm a woman, you see. That does conclude all of the questions. Although I did just spot with the Charlotte Edwards question about the under-19s team to South Africa in 97. She did put a comment on there, which I forgot to mention, which was, we got introduced to a drink called Springbok and she tagged Laura McLeod and Beth Morgan. So what's that all about? Oh, I don't know, but Beth Morgan could certainly take her liquor. I do remember that one night, I think it was, she got drunk, but she was fine the next day, amazing. Well, I was the group that would go adventuring somewhere, you see, while they were drinking. So. I didn't know anything about that, but I do know that some of the um, some of the fellas were, were anxious to get them down to the, their, their rooms, as is the norm. Honestly, thank you so so much for sparing so much time as well. We've lovely to meet you, and yeah. I hope we'll talk again, chat again. Yeah, Definitely. take care. You yeah. too. Thank you so much to Enid Bakewell for taking time out of her day to sit down and chat with Hannah and myself. But a big, big thank you goes to Jenny Gunn, because without her, we wouldn't have been able to have gotten the legendary Enid Bakewell on the podcast. Now, don't forget, we are doing a whole week's worth of episodes for International Women's Week. And coming up tomorrow, we've got Scotland International 
Abdahar Maksud. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat and on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. And if you wanted to give our personal Twitters a follow, Hannah is at HannahT1194 and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Thank you.